LMT is a lens by which you assess all economic understanding. The street is full of corruption. It is baked in to every aspect of our society. 1900s, Lenin was predicting global finance capital would do all the things it's doing today. This is written over 100 years ago. All right, everybody. Happy holiday. Uh, for those of you who uh, served and, uh, you know, look, my beef with the military has got nothing to do with the soldiers that were sent over there. Um, so to those of you who served, um, my hat's off to you. Uh, that said, today is going to be very interesting stream. Um, it's appropriately titled The Violent Poetry of Truth. Um, and I want to start off with a message I received from a good friend uh, who will probably watch this video at some point and recognize their words being read. But I'm going to leave them anonymous because they sent it to me privately. But I think it's an important thing. So I'm going to start with that. He said, one other super, super important, you often mention thing, which I agree with on education. And this is related to another commenter in the comment section who wrote, he meant he wanted violence. I had to reply, Grumbine is violent. You cannot get more violent than honest education. Killing off a bad idea, need for austerity, rugged individualism, etc., is the hardest and is extreme violence. The truth is violent. It really is. And, um, you know, I, I, I get so offended by people that get offended by harsh words. And it's because they're clearly not understanding. And, and you know what? My job isn't to be sugar and spice and everything nice for everybody to be able to hear it the way they want to hear it. Um, I'm sure there are people out there that, uh, in fact, let me just be honest. I don't know anybody that tells the MMT story or the economic story uh, with as much focus on the impacts of bad policy and the impacts to regular people. And people can't stand to hear the truth. I, I mean, for real, they cannot stand to hear it. And I remember when I was in, you know, English lit class going through college how we would hear about these poets that said things in a way that the flowery ears of the uh, um, the Calvinists couldn't handle the uh, the words they used. There's a lot of people out there who they get caught up in words and they never really understand the violence that economics breeds on the working class. And there's a segment of the population that we all are very aware of who have very, very good savings, have investments everywhere. And for those out there who frequently want to hear this stuff, think, oh, you're talking about me. No, I'm not talking about you. I love you if you know who I'm talking about. But there is a component to the overarching mindset that allows people to be more offended by the truth and the rage and the pure anger. And, you know, I, I thought about this. I'm going to share this with you. And it's not really a big deal. This is not 
what I'm trying to show you is unfortunately not the big deal, but I'm going to show you a screen. I'm going to share you share with you a graphic um, that quite frankly, I think is, it's a cool picture, no question. But I want you to understand something. This right here is the sectoral balances and it only goes up it doesn't come all the way up to current. I think that this particular one um, only goes up to like, what is this, 1952 to 2019, okay? But if you look at this, this is a graphic. And it says Clinton surpluses, and it shows that little red spot. It says rest of the world surpluses, unprecedented and unsustainable private sector deficits, okay? So when the government sector is in surplus, by extension, what happens? The private sector is in deficit and vice versa. And so what happens, however, when the private sector is in deficit? And these are the things, these are the stories that can be very stale. You're looking at this chart. What does that mean? Well, I want to tell you what that means. What that means is, is that the government has taken more money in. It has raised taxes. It has cut spending. And that dries up the private sector funds. It dries up the funds out in the world for us. And that in and of itself doesn't sound nearly as terrifying as it does as you extrapolate that down the food chain. All right. And as you realize, this is not just a benign graph that we're talking about. It's not just a, you know, a, an accounting uh, T-graph where you're sitting there recording debits and credits. It's people's lives. And that's what attracted me to MMT. That's what got me involved in MMT. Um, I'm gonna try really, really hard to uh, share a, um, share a article that I wrote or something about me really. Um, see if you guys can make heads or tails of this. I'm gonna share my, uh, share my story momentarily. And I hope that this helps you guys understand a little bit about where I come from so that these more jarring commentaries that I provide are, uh, you, you understand where it's coming from. So our founder, Stephen D. Grumman, the story that started all, sometimes it takes change of circumstance to open up a new view of life. Stephen D. Grumbine was a conservative Republican who revered Ronald Reagan, George H.W. Bush, George W. Bush. He was raised, in fact, let me, before I do that, let me put my mug on this so you guys can see that it's me. Anyway, back to this. He was raised with the social belief that no one was deserving of a handout, that everyone must pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Steve's mother and father had both finished their careers at Ma Bell, and Steve was on track to do the same, working with the company for 17 years. While working at Ma Bell, Steve continued his professional education, attaining a master's degree in technology management in 2007 and business administration and MBA in 2008. 
2009, despite his many years with the company, Steve was laid off due to the global financial crisis. Steve, with all his advanced professional education and experience, found himself unemployed for 18 months, and no amount of bootstrap pulling could lift him out. He experienced firsthand the struggles of no longer having secure employment with benefits while at the same time dealing with a costly divorce, massive child support, and lapsing ability to make mortgage payments. Stephen MMT, during this period of instability, Steve was introduced to modern monetary theory, MMT, a new perspective that disabused him of the macroeconomic myths taught in his post-grad MBA program. He learned taxes do not fund spending at the federal level, and federal government can create as much currency as it needs up to the nation's full productive capacity, which showed him how our government's tolerance of unemployment was a national disgrace. Steve also learned why shameful austerity measures were allowed to continue. Entrenched politicians in Congress controlled by big industry donors spreading macroeconomic lies and a public so brainwashed by those lies that they turned on one another instead of demanding more from their government. That's key right there, folks, that they turned on one another instead of demanding more from their government. This revelation started him down the path of educating the public about these basic truths and showing them their progressive dreams were within reach if they could stop hamstringing themselves with the idea that federal taxes were necessary to pay for them. Steve cultivated a large following on social media and decided to build an organization centered around an understanding of MMT with four crucial pillars to lead progressive movement forward, policy, education, activism, and media. The organization now has hundreds of volunteers. I would say this is written some time ago because this stuff ebbs and flows like you wouldn't believe, but we have had hundreds of volunteers over the years and a dedicated leadership team working daily to spread the message and expand its reach into new markets in order to ingrain this knowledge into the public consciousness, thereby empowering the people to demand their government work for them. That organization now has over 120,000 followers and has reached many millions of people since its inception. That organization is Real Progressives. Now, if I come up here, okay, and look at, where is it at? Let's see if I can find it. I'm probably not gonna be able to find it right off the bat. There's an article out there and you guys feel free to search it and I don't, I'm not gonna waste time doing it right now. But if you guys um, go out and search it, you can find Uh, my article about how I came to MMT. And it's very important to understand that I started off believing that we could just vote our way to a better tomorrow, that we could just vote for Bernie Sanders and we would have everything that we needed. Needless to say, after part one of Bernie, I became much more grown up about it and realized there's a lot of powers, a lot of forces against us. Did not have a good class analysis, did not understand what was really happening on a grand scale. I knew it happened to me. I figured if it happened to me, it had to happen to other people. But I did not have that kind of overarching class-based analysis. I didn't understand to the degree. I had a lot of real-world experience sitting in a jail cell with a bunch of black kids back in 2002, me getting released on my own recognizance, them being kept for weeks upon weeks uh, on a simple you know, I think they had a single joint charge. Um, but regardless, the point of this is, is that my desire to learn MMT 
was not born and how cool it is to do tracing out of reserve accounting. I could have given a flying fuck. I have my MBA. I don't need to learn accounting. I didn't want to learn accounting. I didn't care about accounting. But I learned that shit so that I could prove that MMT was real, that MMT was doing what it said it was doing. And then little by little, I realized the entire fucking progressive movement ignored MMT, ignored the insights, ignored all of it, literally ran around screaming about their hard-earned tax dollars, just like a Republican, the whole enchilada. And I just kept seeing things get worse and worse and worse and worse. And then the veil got lifted from my eyes as I realized the DNC was never going to allow Bernie Sanders to win the nomination. And so within that space, I started to say, well, what the hell can we do then? If you can't even elect someone in there, what are you going to do? You know, voting for a third party, you know, no matter whether or not the elections are rigged or not, folks, we couldn't even get Jill Stein to 5%. Howie Hawkins, I don't even know if he broke 1%. That's how bad it was. Yes, there was a lot of shenanigans. Why? Because the parties control the primaries, control the vote, control the, the elections. And so I started realizing, well, it doesn't appear that there's a way to vote our way there either. And I started looking really hard at tent cities. And I started looking really hard at like the Flint water crisis. And I started looking really hard at the indigenous populations on the reservations that had been put into austere conditions. Every step along the way, I started looking at cities and thinking about local communities and, and watching people homeless out there panhandling and people rolling up their window and being all scared of them. People throwing a few coins in a, in a cup to help out, not realizing that the structural deficiencies, the structural intentional austerity that was baked into our society was not just a one-off. It wasn't because they made bad decisions. They may have made bad decisions, but the structure was so bad. They didn't have a chance. There was no prayer that they could have actually dug their way out of it. The system is not set up for people to do this stuff. It's an oppressive overarching weight that crushes people. And then I started finding what happens when people lose hope. Now, I knew what it was like for me coming from a recovery standpoint. I remember hanging out with all these different people, watching people end up showing up in a hotel room blue with a needle still in their arm, dead from a heroin overdose. I started watching these things and putting them all into different perspectives. It's just like something was really, really wrong here. People are just going around like, well, the federal government can't spend what it doesn't have. This is the conversation. Well, where are they going to get the money? The federal government can't spend money it doesn't have. Think about your own budget. You can't do it. People were convinced this stuff was real. And there I am looking, and it's like, buddy coming up to me. You see those black guys over there, man? They fucking beat my friend up, took his wallet, and blah, 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 fucking blah, blah, blah. And you're thinking to yourself, oh, that's horrible, man. Who should, who, who wants to see their friend get hit on the head and have their money taken from them? That's awful, right? And you start saying, well, wait a minute. Why do people randomly hit people on the head and take their wallet? They're not getting rich. It's not like there's a million dollars sitting there. They're scraping by willing to hit you on the head for 20 bucks. 
that's not just because they're crazy or they're angry. It's because they're desperate, man. Because they're willing to risk everything. They're willing to risk jail. They're willing to risk losing what little they have, if they have anything, just to get 20 bucks from you. That doesn't speak to, you know, somebody just trying to get rich off you and taking what's not theirs. That's that's something more systemic. That's something more horrible. And as you start peeling it back, you start realizing how many criminals are locked up in jail for crimes that they committed in the act of trying to survive. Whether it be drug use, whether it be stealing, theft, whatever, whether it be fraud, trying to get through something. Yeah, the rich people always get away with it. They do all this stuff and they don't think twice about it. But when little people do this stuff, it's a big deal. It's a crime. They go to jail for a long time. And so to me, MMT was not, well, you know, Steve, one person's spending is another person's income. Yeah, okay, that's great. It's true. You say to yourself, well, you know, the inverse is true that when the government goes into debt or deficit, the private sector goes into surplus. That's that's a cool accounting identity. Okay. Yeah. But who cares? Why does that fucking matter? Why would that matter? Unless you're an economist, you're hanging out at economic forums, talking about economic things. That means shit to me. Why the fuck do I care about sectoral balances? Why why do I care? And so all this stuff about taxes not funding spending, that really that really resonated with me. I was a Republican, remember? I was a Republican. And that whole idea of you're taking my hard-earned tax dollar and wasting it on someone's abortion or wasting it on someone's bad habits, that's real, man. People, people feel the sense of fairness because they don't realize how unfair the system is. Because they're filled with all these sanitized economists going out there saying things in very sanitized ways that never touch on the blood and the pain and suffering. Use terms like cruel. Okay, cruel, big deal. What does that mean? Help me help me paint a picture of what cruel looks like. Give me the poetic justice of what cruelty looks like. I know what it looks like. But if you don't think that cutting federal spending is cruel, you won't have any idea what the fuck I'm talking about until you see the flows, until you see the streams, until you see the direct impact as it goes down to the bottom. So to me, I come in here and and a little bit like somebody who posts big, huge, shocking pictures of war, show you the fucking death show you the child with their skull crushed from a bomb. And everybody's like, oh no, don't let anyone say, hide your face. Oh my God, this is sensitive content. Trigger warning, don't look. Don't look. And you realize that there's a big attempt 
to sanitize accounting to this very boring well, no, actually, it's a theoretical debate here, guys. Well, when we raise interest rates up, what does it do? It does the inverse. It puts more money in the rich people's pockets and it, you know, blah, blah, blah. These are all true statements. They're very important to understand. There's plenty of accountants out there. If you want to learn accounting, go take an accounting class. It's good to know. It's very good to know because it gives you a foundation for all the other stuff. But the political analysis, the class analysis that goes with what the impacts of those are, the dialectics that tie into all this shit, that takes something different. And that's what I developed and began developing over a number of years after I realized this isn't just an accident. People know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. Now, I'm not talking about the rank and file. I'm talking about the people in power. They really do know what they're doing. And so I brought you guys not only the MMT angle, but I brought you the Clara Mate angle, which is that the trinity of austerity and how austerity breeds fascists. Was it any wonder while we're watching the rise of the right wing in America today? And what I see is terrifying because I see people that I care about, people that I call fellow travelers, unfortunately, in some ways, talking about, you know, things like like they shunt they don't tell you the backstory on why these things happen. They just talk about, oh, it's a shame. We shouldn't live in a country where people don't have health care. We shouldn't live in a country where people don't have housing. We shouldn't live in a country where, you know, whatever. We shouldn't. And it's like all these platitudes. But when you really, really go through and you see people, suffering, have no hope, spend more hours in the night planning their own suicide than sleeping. That deserves better than a chintzy little well, actually, there's dis we'll have some significant offsets with taxes to produce the room for more spending, right? It's a very important conversation to have amongst economists. But the reality is, is that your economic system fucking sucks if you allow that shit to happen when it's unnecessary based on your ideological proclivity of a free market and that everybody has to work hard or it's a moral hazard. And if you don't work hard, you don't deserve to live. Unfortunately, we're surrounded by activists who don't want to learn the MMT stuff. And because they don't wanna learn it, they say the stupidest shit you've ever heard in your life so stupid it makes the fucking establishment sound like it's got its shit together. And so 
we talk about student debt. And I try and paint the real picture. It's not good enough to know, yeah, there's 2.1 trillion in student debt and the government could clearly wipe it out. Because now you're in the, well, I paid my student debt. Why should I have to pay for yours? Right. Whatever. Each of these things has this moral element to it, has a bootstrap element to it, has a struggle builds character moment to it. But nobody sees turning the spigot off. Nobody sees this as murder. Nobody sees it as murder. Nobody sees the death that resulted from austerity as murder they're able to lump it in like gosh why didn't this person take prozac they were so depressed they should have had access to mental health care sure yeah give them some fucking mental health care but how about fix the fucking system that created the fucking desperation to begin with and because people ignore that They talk in very, very sweet, glowing, positive things. People that aren't struggling, they hear those fuck this and fuck that words. And their privilege shows. It's like, excuse me, sir, your FUPA privilege is showing. Your your muffin top of privilege is showing. How about tucking in the shirt or untucking the shirt? Your privilege is showing. Their ears get burned, they get hurt, they start whining and swining and crying and bitching and moaning that your words were offensive and rude. But that's because they don't recognize that these things are really murder. They're still thinking it's just like, well, you didn't know. Of course I didn't know. I just, I, it's on our fucking website that I didn't know. It's on our website that I was a Republican. It's on our website that I once was one of those people that I'm critiquing today. And I was a conservative Democrat for about 10 minutes too, for a few minutes. But I became an MMT-informed progressive and then said progressive isn't good enough. Progressive is sort of like a Band-Aid. So let's just have some good programs and let the rich be rich and let's throw some programs at these people to make sure that the bottom doesn't suffer while we go chase glory. That's not a system I'm really cool with either, right? And so I move further to the left, not because I'm crazy. Fuck you, man. I'll kick your ass. (laughs) I'm not crazy, right? It's really more a matter of I'm aware. I'm awake. I see. I'm woke. I see the struggle of the inner city. I see the struggle of gentrification. I see the struggle. And because people don't have eyes to see, they get offended by my outrage. But I want you to share in my outrage, not mine. I want it to be your own because you're going to stumble across things that I never dreamed of. It's not just anger for the sake of anger. It's not just let me see if I can be rude and offensive to piss off old Karen over there. Can I speak to the manager? 
it's really a matter of making sure that people stop seeing austerity as mere disagreement. People are just uninformed. They don't know any better. That may be true, but there's nothing driving them to know better. There's nothing driving them to learn because they think of it as just a simple accounting thing. They don't, I mean, I remember this one time, this big time activist in one of the Bernie Sanders groups on Facebook years ago said, nobody's going to learn anything from a fucking accounting gimmick. That was, that was the level of fucking brain power the shit fuck had, right? And it's not, I wouldn't call somebody that just doesn't know a shit fuck. It's only a puffed up parasite that comes at you and says something like, oh, that's stupid. That's not going to work. It's just fucking accounting. And yeah, when they do that, I feel it's absolutely my duty to slaughterhouse five, to come a crushing, okay? To just swing bolos, okay? Because to me, it's them and their influence that drives people to ignore, that pretend that this isn't real fucking lethal doses of austerity. Yeah, dull as, dull as spoons, right? Carving a turkey with a spoon, a spork. <laughs> Yeah, some of the old school. I, I have to break out some of my old Steve-isms. They, <laughs> but I, I want you to understand, though, that I have a goal, and I'm trying to tell you what my goal is. Okay, My goal is, A, number one, I can teach you MMT. MMT is a pretty straightforward thing. Am I going to get a few things wrong? Sure I am. Even with this wonderful podcast this week with Yan Ling, I had feedback come back to me where it's like, well, I take exception to this and I take exception to that, but overall, great podcast. But this is an MMT academic saying they had pushback on the other MMT academics' comments. So see, even the perfect ones, even the best of the best of the best, sir, get it wrong or have a different understanding or see it differently. I've been in rooms where Warren Mosler has said something about public banks where the guys at the Modern Money Network are like, what are you talking about? Warren and Warren's like, well, of course it's this. And I've seen them disagree. I've seen Bill Mitchell disagree with other MMT. I've seen Randy Ray disagree. He says something different and they say something different. So there's a lot to be understood at a theoretical level amongst the academics. And for them, that's their job. They're there to work out those finer points. I'm an activist. I'm not an economist. I'm a project manager. I'm a program manager. I'm a visionary. I'm not a, an accountant. And so for me, I see this great work they have, these wonderful white papers about a job guarantee. I see these wonderful white papers about, you know, sectoral balances. And I know goddamn well nobody... You're not going to catch it on the other alt-media channels. That's for goddamn sure you're not going to hear a single word. You won't even hear the word sectoral balances. They couldn't even tell you the three sectors that would be measured in sectoral balances. In stock flow consistent model, you'll never hear it. And it's very important. Okay? It's very important. If you understand stuff like there's only three ways to get money into the economy. A, the federal government through fiscal spending. B, you have trade where you're a net exporter. Or the last one, which is, guess what? It's private debt. 
And you oftentimes see some coolio slide up in the chat saying 97% of the money in the economy is bank money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And never understanding that that is the neoliberal way of creating open-air prisons through debt slavery. Let's cut the spending off here. No more government spending. Let's raise interest rates so the rich get richer. And then simultaneously, let's ensure that we're a net importer so people have no prayer. To most people, that's like, what did he just say? That's a fucking puzzle. I don't know how to do this jigsaw, but it's like Jenga, whatever. But suffice it to say, if you understand how money gets spent into the economy, if you understand how money comes to be, and if you understand how money stops coming to be by being taxed out of the economy and literally uh, draining reserves in the banking system, there's two circuits. There's the external circuit, which is the public sector, private sector, where we're all living at. And then there's this other inner banking sector. And you can even look at the government sector because the government sector, there is no such thing really as money because it creates it out of thin air. So everything that happens within the government, the, the, you're issuing tax credits. What does the government need with its own tax credits? What does it need with its own liabilities? So you can get all deep and wonky with this shit. Suffice it to say, I baked it down to federal taxes don't fund spending hoping that light bulbs would go on for people. Instead, you get snapper heads running around telling you, no, it's not true. Taxes really do fund spending, Steve. I paid into Social Security, Steve. And you tell them that, and the truth fucking shakes them like an earthquake. Their hard-earned beliefs, not their hard-earned tax dollars. So these things that are very boring, very accounting-like, very not tied to real-world suffering, you don't see the traces from that balance sheet and how it impacts regular people. You just don't see it. And so for me, I need to take this thing that's boring as watching paint dry, boring as watching grass grow, okay? Boring is watching reality television on one of these Love Island things or Real Housewives. Boring like that, okay? And having to figure out how to make it matter to you. How to make it matter that when Joe Biden negotiates with the Republican for a debt ceiling that he didn't have to negotiate at all. I, I don't even like Biden. I'm on the record. I hate the motherfucker. But he, he had no reason whatsoever to negotiate with McCarthy. He could have stood large in charge and just gotten rid of all student debt. I've said this so many times. That money's already spent. It was already spent in student loans. The institutions were already paid. The only thing not paid is the agents of the government that service those loans. Government doesn't need that money back. It's almost like a tax. I just, I see a big super chat. So I'm going to take a moment here. My apologies, folks, for break and stride, but this is, I'm going to read this to you. 
What will the outcome be of the current battle playing out in Washington? Who knows? The only thing we can count on for sure is the fact that the true casualties will be those the government is supposed to be serving in the first place. John T. Harvey. Now, let me just say this. The problem I have, even with John T. Harvey's statement here, is that it's so gentle. It's so gentle still. It's still gentle. That's as close as you're going to get to the real throat punch of truth that somebody who's literally ready to hang themselves in a closet somewhere feels. The true casualties will be those the government is supposed to be serving in the first place. What does that mean? It's the same thing as saying someone's cruel. What does that mean? I want to give you the color commentary. I want you to see. Thank you for the super chat, by the way. I want you to see the real pain and suffering. I want you to understand. When you sit there and you hear a knock on the door, the guy's hiding behind the thing so you can't look out the thing and decide whether to open or not. And it turns out to be a process server ready to serve you a foreclosure notice. It's almost as if maybe you think I've had that happen before. The feeling of terror, sheer, unadulterated terror that your home is going to be taken from you. And yes, there's another great point. VA from NY. Who is the government supposed to be serving? You have to ask your class, who does the government serve today? Does it serve the working class? Does it serve the proles? Does it serve the regular people? Or does it serve the moneyed interests, the capitalists, the capital class, the capital order? I think it's really super important, really super important to recognize class. So when I started thinking about MMT and why leftists outright rejected, aside from having really shitty economics and being lied to by people like Doug Henwood and Matt Brunig, who literally wouldn't econ their way out of a paper bag and guys like Richard Wolf, who misleads so many people, but says it in a sweet way so you feel you know, fist in the air and land of hypocrisy, some sort of a, a bond. There is some struggle there together, right? There is some common struggle there. But the fact of the matter is, is that you're left with hyperbolic statements. The end of the dollar. And so telling the truth that it's not the end of the dollar, folks. So sorry. I may want that. You may want that. The rest of the world may want that. But it ain't happening. And it ain't there. No matter what, the bricks be damned. It's not happening. That's not happening. But you would need to really genuinely understand the MMT story. So this is where the things you care about can be mapped to truth by understanding the flows, by understanding how money comes to be and how it stops coming to be. And terms like 
demand leakage. What's a demand leakage? Well, normally it wouldn't mean a shit's bit of difference to you. But some demand leakages that cause problems in the economy. Savings, what an oxymoron. Do you know every time you and I save money, it, it it's like a demand leakage. And a demand leakage is a leakage of demand. It like slows demand. It takes away aggregate demand because that money is saved up in a bank account, not being used and spent into the economy. There's a whole bunch of other factors there. All of these things, though, are just silly accounting identities to most people. They don't really, you, a person's dead over here. A child is going to school hungry right here. A person's in jail right here. But here's this accounting stuff that if you can understand the accounting and you can understand the game that's being played, you can understand why these things are happening. It's not just capitalism. It's the system. That's true. At the most rudimentary level, God, the system. Right? It's important to know what is broken in the system because if you don't, let's say hypothetically the whole world goes kaput and you start your own country, start your own economy, whatever. We we start our own new government in the, the fall of the West or whatever, <laughs> whatever, right? You might be doomed to repeat some of the same bullshit. Thanks again, Double K, for another super chat. Thank you so, so much. But in the end, we have been conditioned by the Christian church and Calvinism to believe in bootstraps, to believe in tough love and tough work and all these things. That's not an accounting identity. But when you understand that you're not taking a single penny from the rich when the federal government spends money on you. That the rich can't claim you're stealing from them. The only thing that that does is steal from them the power to reign over your life by holding you hostage to do something else. I'm going to try to address this. I'm not sure I'm equipped to do this one right now, but it says, Steve, can you address the claim that price controls imposed during the 1970s caused supply shortages, long lines, and increased black markets? Here's what I can tell you. A company creates goods and services based on whatever it is model they want. If you look at, uh, I, I say this often in some jackass will ignore me and or make fun of me for using this example but it's trying to relate to people but i look at video game systems during the christmas era christmas time frame and how they'll release a very small amount of them 200 of them something like that and there will be people camped out getting a ticket waiting outside of best buy to get the 200 that are in there and there might be 500 people outside the best buy trying to get one of these Xboxes or Playstations or whatever. The company made a choice. They wanted to keep it small and scarce, and they did what they did. That's one way that they limit the amount of a good or service into the economy intentionally. However, during the 70s, what did you have? You had a situation where OPEC decided to cut back production, the oil embargo. Yeah, there, there it was. I love that. Right as say it, and there it is. So the oil embargo ca caused supply shortages and long lines, not price controls. That's exactly correct. 
price controls are what capitalists tend to try to focus on. Say, well, see, I just wasn't making my profit motive, so why in the world am I going to produce more of a product? See, but if you think about it the other way, they'll put a gun to our heads as workers, say work harder to produce more, versus flipping it around and realizing, hey, your profit motive may go down temporarily, but it will keep the economy going. And then when we come out of this, your profit will go back up once things normalize. Price controls are very important part of the economy that we don't think of because we are so embedded in a neoliberal free market, the free hand of the market, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, you have concepts of rent control. I mean, in New York City alone, uh, places like Chelsea have old uh, apartments that are still under rent control. This is important stuff because otherwise people sit on these properties and inflate the asset value, drive up the scarcity, and, uh, you know, take a look sometime at real estate in New York City if you want to see what I'm talking about. There's a lot of stuff that is nobody's living in. They're abandoned buildings or they're and, – and this is a rich man's game, okay? Um, but price controls are our friends. They're, they're a tool that we could use to ensure stability, price stability. Why we don't do that is 100% ideological, okay? Anyway, um, I do want to think about a few other things before we kind of round out this. When you look at poverty throughout Appalachia, when you look at poverty throughout Flint, when you look at, I have spent so much time trying to explain how states are currency users. The federal government is a currency issuer. When you look, when the federal government cuts off its spigot and the states are running dry, states have to do something. They raise taxes. They do something. They always have to do something. What happens? Rich people have the means to leave and they flee. They go somewhere else, a form of capital flight, if you will. Okay. But the poor have no means to get out of these bad places. And so they're stuck in the wasteland left behind. When you explain this to people, they don't recognize that this is easily explained through MMT. You understand currency issuer, currency user. You understand that the federal government's a currency issuer, states are currency users. You can start extrapolating what that means to regular people when the federal government cuts spending. You know, we have a, actually, if you go to our website, realprogressives.org, and you check out, and I see more super chests. I just want to thank you all for putting them in there. I don't want to, I don't want to give you short shrift. It means the world to me. Thank you so much, Teresa two seven three. And let me just quickly run off these. Double K nineteen ninety nine, uh, MMT Chaparito, uh, fifty bucks. Um, Double K another nineteen ninety nine. Blackberry White five dollars. Um, C Dub five dollars. Um, and then of course, Teresa, uh, two, seven, three, $10. And I just want to thank you all so much for your support. Um, but I do want to get back to this because it's important. I'm here to shake people up. I'm here to make them see the dirty fucking soiled diaper of reality. And I know that's hard for people to do, 
but austerity really is murder. And if you can't divorce yourself from the accounting, the stale accounting, and get all wrapped up and oh, it's just easy, just you know, just spend a little here, do a little there, and everything will be great, blah, blah, blah. We don't realize how many people die from not having health care. We don't realize how many people die from not being properly housed. We don't realize how many people are literally starving in a country. My God, it's not just the richest nation on earth. It's a country that has infinite resources, and there's no excuse. But there is an excuse because we believe in the money famine. We believe in the scarcity of dollars. We worthlessly believe we borrow money from China. We worthlessly believe that we're in debt. We worthlessly believe we don't have money and that we're going to pass on debt to our grandchildren. And you can see that in Kevin or Mike McCarthy or whatever the fuck McCarthy's name, Douche Nozzle McCarthy of the Republican Party, right? Says Kevin McCarthy, I think it is. Douchebag McCarthy, fuckstick McCarthy, idiot McCarthy, whatever his name is, right? And so when you put all that together, and you start realizing that they're Lauren Boebert out there talking about millions of people paid their student debt. Why in the world should we have to pay yours too? You start realizing that, hey, you dumb broad, it ain't no fucking you paying for anybody else, you fucking selfish piece of shit. See, she knows, but she's misleading the masses turning them into rabid dogs against the poor, against the black and brown people, against the gays, against the trans, against the immigrants, against everyone that's taken away their little bit of hard-earned tax dollars. And so for all the tone-deaf rich Democrats out there that ignore this shit and get offended, Steve used a mean word. He called Biden a murderer. Oh, my Gomez. Oh, oh, he's such a salty language. Whatever shall we do? The fact is, the fact is, these people are fucking doing things. Murder by policy. Murder by policy. And murder by rhetoric. You may not realize this. But every time Lauren Boebert speaks to a bunch of teabagging thugs out there, and tells them that their hard-earned tax dollars are being wasted on these ne'er-do-goods. Those ne'er-do-goods dig their heels in and say, I don't want my hard-earned tax dollars, boy, going out there, no goddamn immigrants, no goddamn whatever, some bitch. So they're sitting there stirring the pot up. And these people are rabid. You see them at the school board meetings ready to fight anybody. God, do you ain't taking nobody wearing masks. And maybe it's oppression for fuck's sake. Goddamn, you motherfucker. You're not going to put no goddamn mask on my kid. You're going to ruin their lives. It'll stunt the growth of their penis. Here's my AR-15. I'll show them some good old prairie love. But you've got to keep people's head focused on austerity because it's boring. It's fucking boring. Like, I read books out the ass at the wazoo. I read everything that comes across. White papers you would never want to read. 
Why the fuck would you want to be bored to tears learning about this shit if there wasn't something real that came from it? MMT doesn't mean dick unless you understand that it is about saving lives. We have a we have an existential climate crisis happening right now. Where are all these economists and all these academics, all these pundits talking about the impact to climate crisis? When you reduce the spending that needs to go out there to retrofit every smokestack, to retrofit every car, to whatever, to eliminate cars, to build mass transit, whatever. Where is that? It's not there. Why? Because we've allowed these fuck sticks to make us think that the money is the big deal when we create the money out of thin air. And Biden negotiating with them about this is a surefire truth that the man is evil. He's a Republican. He's a murderer. Okay. There's going to be some vote blue sycophant who gets very, very upset. Oh my God, he said something mean. What do you want, Trump? What do you want, DeSantis? Oh my God, he must be a, a, a Putin puppet. It's that fucking cognitive dissonance that leads to death. And it's up to us to transpose this esoteric accounting identity into something that matters, that shows you the malevolence of the system, that shows you the malevolence of capitalism, that shows you the malevolence of these rich people that are like, well, Jesus, we would do everything we could if we had the money. We just don't have the money. Wherever could we get the money? Wherever could we get the money? Where can we find the money? And they do it and people go, oh, they're right. It would be easy if we could help people, but alas, we're just out of money. Joe Biden did the great 3D chess and he saved us all from extinction because otherwise the Republicans would have held us hostage forever and we would be so screwed. Anyway. I'll be on with Generational Change later today. If you guys look at Generational Change's uh, YouTube channel, you'll see me there. Um, in the meantime, though, I've been working all morning. I'm working today because I'm a contractor and I need to make my pay. So I'm working. So uh, as soon as I jump off this, i got to get back in there to get to work. But suffice it to say, I love you guys. I love everybody. I'm trying for a fact to get people to pay attention and stop making this just a gentleman's game. It's not gentleman's game. It's murder. It really, really is. And um, until we can make people see that, nothing will change. Biden will always have air cover. Not just Biden, but the next one, when it's Buddha Judge or Chelsea Clinton or Michelle Obama. I mean, it's coming, folks. 
we live in a dynastic society. We do not live in a democracy at all. It's oligarch driven and all your belief that you can vote your way there. It flies in the face of the reality that we live in an oligarchy. We do not live in a democracy. And so until you realize that the ruling class is holding you down is literally imposing austerity, imposing a money famine, as Steve Larchuk said at the first MMT conference, unless you understand that, you're liable to just say, ah, this, this MMT thing's just not that big a deal. And you'll just move right on. and You won't even notice the dead bodies left behind. With that, I am Steve Grumbine. I am the Rogue Scholar. I hope you check out this weekend's uh, Macro and Cheese with Jan Ling on all your podcasting channels. I believe we'll have a reheat of that um, tomorrow at noon. You can catch it on YouTube or you can catch it on any one of the other uh, podcast platforms. But in the meantime, though, I just want you to understand that the effect that I'm trying to bring to your attention is that there are real consequences for not doing anything. There are real consequences for sitting on the sidelines. There's real consequences for not recognizing that austerity is a gun of a different type. And without our strong push to wake people up, it'll stay that way forever. Anyway, again, thank you all for all the great super chats. Really appreciate good audience today. We've got over 60 live viewers. May not seem like much for the bigger clickbaity channels, but for us spitting out truth, really, really appreciate your time. And with that, have a great holiday. I hope you enjoy your families. I'm out of here. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support our efforts, please take a moment to subscribe and check out our other work on the Real Progress in Action YouTube channel and visit our sister organization's website at realprogressives.org. 